Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, author of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about establishing atmosphere and tone in an RPG. In the news, D&D apologizes for Spelljammer race lore, Monty Python licensed RPG is on its way, Paizo's Lisa Steven retires from the RPG industry, a TSR news update, and more! Plus, 5 Minutes of Dragon Con with Egg Embry, interviewing Steve Jackson, and a brand new sketch about the party discovering their first Spelljammer ship. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG Talk. The Thieves Guild has sponsored today's podcast. The Thieves Guild is your number one destination for the procurement of robbers, burglars, housebreakers, shoplifters, pickpockets, muggers, larcenists, pilferers, poachers, embezzlers, swindlers, crooks, cutpurses, footpads, and lurchers. Just head down to the Clothmakers Guild and ask for a pebble-down mattress, wink twice, and answer fiddle me D when they ask you your name. But don't tell them I sent you. I owe them money. Tabletop roleplay news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am back after a week away in sunny Brighton, and with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever, it is a complete delight to be here. And here with us today, in all her regal majesty, it's the one, it's the only, it's... It's me, Jessica from EN Publishing. Her regal majesty. Absolutely. That's as close as I'm getting to topical this week. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, Yeah, so how are you both? Yeah, not bad. Doing better. How did the podcast go last week? I think it went great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nothing set on fire. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't break it. Is the is the thing that we didn't break it. We haven't had too many complaints. How do you define too many? I haven't seen any. Most popular, most downloads of every single episode. I mean, who would have expected that? (laughs) (laughs) I suspect that is not true. Okay, well, time will tell. Time will tell. (laughs) We survived without you, so I think we've shown that we can be left in charge. It's time for the awfully cheerful question. If you have a question, tag us on the socials with hashtag awfully cheerful question or email us at morrispodcast at gmail.com. If we answer it, we'll send you a free book. A free book? We're far too generous. That's what I say. Let's start with our awfully cheerful question of the week. Is it awfully cheerful? It is awfully cheerful. This one came in via the Twitters. It's actually not that cheerful. Oh, so, yes, I suppose it's not actually. <laughs> it came in from uh, Typhonius Starheart, which is an awesome name from the Twitters. Yeah, good work, Typhonius. Yeah. Who would like to know, how do you handle, mm. out of game, a player character death? So it's not that, okay. see what I mean, not that cheerful. Right, right. Yeah. It's not cheerful at all. But, but I think it's it a very good question. Mm. Yeah. I have a lots of thoughts, feelings, and opinions on this because I recently, uh, as in last last month, um, ended a campaign, yeah. and so we were talking and dealing about this. Um, mm. So we had the big fight at the end, and we had all our player characters uh, that we've been playing for 
a year and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, anyway, it's a long-term campaign. Um, so we've been playing it for like these characters for a year and a half, and we play once or twice a week. So we play these characters a lot. So obviously you become very attached to them, and you walk around in, in their world. And um, so obviously when you stop playing a character, it's kind of sad, because you're like, oh, I, they're a really awesome person, and I like mm. walking around in their shoes, and you don't get to do that anymore. And when a player character dies as well, that's a very definitive end as well. Because in my campaigns, sometimes previous player characters come back into the campaign. So you'll be playing a different character and then the GM will run them as an NPC. And it's always like, oh, look, they're still in the world running around doing their things, which is nice. But when they die, you're like, oh, that's not really going to happen. So one of the things I was going to say about player character death is before that happens, I think there needs to be a bit of consent on the table and letting player characters know that that can happen. That's certainly something my group did because before we're going to the big fight, the GM said, hey, so this is a really big fight and I'm imagining some of you aren't going to make it and just checked that we were okay and aware that that was going to happen so that we didn't feel cheated in our decision that we were going to go in and do this fight and be shocked that that was the case. So I think that's kind of important. But I think that's in any game as well, just making sure people are aware that that can happen in this game. Cause that's, sometimes, that's, it, yeah. yeah, that's interesting to me because I've, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I think in any game I've been in, the default assumption has been, at least I assumed it was, and mm-hmm. admit it is an assumption, I assumed it was the default assumption mm. was that play character death can definitely happen. Yeah. Um, and, and it would be an exception for me the other way around, for you yes. to say it's not going to happen. Mm. Well, I, I think the reason we said that is because of D&D, when characters die, do they really die? It's a very comic book way, because like, you mm. can you know, find some way to bring them back and yada, yada, yada. But this was going to be a situation because of the type of battle it was and the magic being used that there would be no bringing them back. I guess it depends how role-play your group is as well. Because if you're more mm-hmm. of a role-play group, yeah. you're probably more attached to your character than if uh-huh. you're more of a, you know... Yes. And so my, and yeah. that makes a difference. My group is a very role-play group, <laughs> as you would say. So that was the thing. So that, I think that was the first thing, is letting people know that, yeah, you're... You know that, or just basically letting them know that you doing this action might mean your characters are going to die. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing, which I think we talked about before. Just letting, making players aware of consequence. Doing a, mm-hmm. are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. So that situation was one but thing this I'd question, say. I think sort of also is touching on like the logistics of it. So mm-hmm. do they roll up a new character and come in the next session? Mm-hmm. Is that character the same level as the previous one? Is you know there's a load of different logistical ways you can mm-hmm. do it or. You know, will you allow someone to just roll up the unidentical twin <laughs> or not? You know, those those sort of logistical issues. I mean, yeah. what, what, what do you think? I mean, generally speaking, if your character dies halfway through a session, yeah, are, yeah. are you going to, would you say, right, your next character comes in at exactly the same level? Mm-hmm. That's definitely one, the, the standard way of doing it, I think. Yeah. That's the yeah. one that we tend to use. But what we did used to do was we used to... Well, obviously, TNT used to have different advancement charts yeah. for different classes. That's right. Mm-hmm. So people would progress at levels at different speeds, mm. depending on the character class. Yeah. So what that meant was everybody wasn't the same level. Yeah. Mm. And then we we kind of didn't want this thing where you could die and end up coming in at a higher level than someone else because that seemed unfair. Mm. Sure. So our rule was: you come in, but you come at the same level as the lowest level character in the party. So otherwise, yeah. dying is actually a bonus because you suddenly gain a level or two. Yeah. If you get what I mean. Uh, so okay. So that's one rule that we had back when D and D was structured like that. Mm. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not the case now. Everyone levels at the same rate, so it's yeah. not it's not an issue these days. But yeah, um, yeah. That's that's one thing we used to do. I, I mean, we've I've I've heard of uh, coming in at first level 
and in games like OSR, yeah, and I think maybe second edition, not 100% mm. sure on that, because your hit points are basically so low, mm. it doesn't really matter. You're fine. Like, you have to be a bit more careful, maybe, but yeah. you're still basically not super. But if you took also, a, a fifth if edition, or three, three and upwards, you bring a first level character into a tenth level fight, that's it, mate. They're just going to yeah. splash damage. There's also an element, though. A first level character in a tenth level party, yeah. getting their share of the XP is going to progress through levels very, very, very quickly. Yeah, sure. But I don't know if they'd be able to catch up. No, I don't think they catch up. I'm just saying that they'd have a slightly different experience at first to everybody else because yeah. they'd be going levels one, two, three, four, five in like two sessions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have run mixed level parties because mm-hmm. that is the nature of Adventurers League, mm. uh, which uh, divides them into tiers rather than levels. Yeah. So you can balance it, but it's still things like if you bought a first level wizard and everyone else is level four, you're still going to struggle. A first level mm. barbarian on the other hand is a lot more chunky and expects to take a lot more punches to the face, so is generally mm. a lot better off. Because don't forget, in basic fifth edition, you have things like the if you take your hit points, like was it double your hit points in damage, so you go from full to negative hit points, negative full hit points. Sorry, I'm phrasing mm. this very badly for some reason. Uh, you instantly die. Mm. Uh, that sort mm-hmm. of level, there is no access to resurrection magic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it can be quite quite upsetting for players. Mm-hmm. So just like checking and making sure that they're okay. Yeah. I think I think for sure as well. And I think when you roll up a, a new character, I think a conversation with the GM to make it make sense for the story, why mm. this person's coming in. I mean, mm. if you're all people working for like a guild or something like that, it's quite mm. easy to be like, oh, this other person's joining the team. But, mm. you know, sometimes finding a way to introduce that that makes sense in terms of the story, you can chat to the yeah. GM about it. But like... All right. No. And the other thing I was going to say, the emotional side of it, because mm. I think I'm the most angsty role player here, maybe, in terms of that. Um, I have I make playlists for my characters when I'm playing them, mm. and when they ha- have died as well or are no longer playing them, I still have that playlist to kind of sit and listen to. And sometimes after session, me and the players will have, not when we're playing, but we'll sit afterwards and have a few drinks and chat about what we think is going to happen to the characters afterwards, or you know things like that or we sit almost like a funeral which sounds silly do you actually go through the five stages of grief we do <laughs> really 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 I, quickly I do oh yeah we sit down we'll go to the pub for an evening we'll chat about our favourite moments with that mm. that that character and people are like oh yeah that was really cool and we'll just share stories about the game have a few drinks and talk about it and that's a way to kind of that's, say goodbye to that character as well that, that sounds like a wake yes yeah. very yeah. much like a wake we have yeah. more than a funeral a wake yes yeah. so we'll yeah. have like a We'll have a wake out, out of game yeah. uh, as well sometimes. Well, you could have a funeral as well. You could, like, burn the character sheet or something well, in a symbolic manner. We generally end up having the funeral in-game because usually yeah. our characters actually care about this person and their friend right. has died, so we all That's have That's interesting. That. I've never had a funeral in-game in my life. Mm. It's normally quite that. brief. We normally yeah. narrate what's going on, what they do, and yeah. then sometimes the GM will be like, if there's particularly characters that would speak and say something, they'll be like, would your character say something? And they're like, yeah, and then someone will. Say some words about it. Most of the players I've been with, when someone dies, they're like, uh, how much money has he got on his corpse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's so yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I've actually... <laughs> Bags, Bagsy the bow, you know. <laughs> I mean, that happens too, but it's yeah. more respectful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think at um, some LARPs I've been to, funerals have been mm. a much more important thing. 
Odyssey, yeah. which is a game that's sadly no longer running, was very big on that. And I officiated at funerals, uh, and that was really hard. Mm. There were so many people who were actually crying, and mm. it was just wild. I think it's just because of the immersion that people went to it. It was really, really wild, and things were so emotional. I guess because you're also physically exhausted from a lot of the stuff that you've been doing as well. Have mm. you, have either of you cried during a role-playing game then, like in character? No. Oh, um, only at a lot. Um, I've not okay. really had... Yeah, it's not really been the sort of games where I've been that immersed, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I have. But I can cry mm. on cue anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, can, I, I, I can make myself but, cry, so that's part yeah. of the, the acting thing. Well, sounds a bit, Jess, your games tend to be a lot more roleplay immersive than the type of games that I tend to be in. The, my long-term campaign is, I do sometimes play some games that are just like... We're running in and killing goblins, yay! But like, yeah. but yeah, my campaign definitely is, and I also a lot of indie tabletop RPGs are a lot more. Oh yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of like that. Like that. Like but that. and that's yeah. that, but that's where I started. I started in indie tabletop RPGs, and I mm-hmm. it was like six years of role playing before I even approached D and D. So I approached D and D in a very indie kind of way, mm-hmm. which is why. I, I very specifically pick the people I play with because I think if I joined just a, an adventure league game, everyone would be like, "What is this person doing?" When I sat mm. there uh, with my completely unoptimized character, that's that's but you know, feats chosen for like fun roleplay reasons, opposed to being actually useful to the party. But yeah, uh, I mean, it very much depends upon your table. Um, mm. I think also it's like I generally tend to prefer action and adventure. They're like my favorite sort of things. I mm-hmm. Really like Mad Max Fury Road for the pacing. Everything, everywhere, all at once was amazing storytelling. And yeah. uh, Bullet Train was an absolutely amazing example of uh, Chekhov's everything. Hmm. <laughs> we have very much gone off topic. We now, have gone super off topic. We have, but, but that's question. how I deal with character death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we go mechanically off and also have a little wake afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So that was from Typhonius Starheart, and we will send Typhonius Starheart a copy of Awfully Cheerful Engine <sighs> number one. Thank you for your great question that allowed me to be angsty. Okay, time for some news. Yay! What sort of tone would you like to start off with? Pick a move, fun. pick a tone, and fun. I'll pick a piece of news to. All right, we'll start fun. Okay. Okay. Let's start with Monty Python then. Fun. I thought you we'll said start fun. with fun. Yes. Okay. Peter. Oh, no, you don't like Monty Python, <laughs> Peter. So, Monty Python's fine. There's just problems. Yeah. There well, is yeah. an official yes. Monty Python tabletop RPG coming. Yes. It is called Monty Python's Co-Curricular Medieval Reenactment Program, a role-playing game, crossed out. No, it isn't. It's the full title. No, Perfect. It's not, it's not a short title. Unless you I... love it with all your heart already. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this was um, announced on Dicebreaker um, initially, mm. and uh, this could be coming to uh, Kickstarter very soon. I think next month. Yes, in October. Uh, and in this game, you'll carry out quests in medieval Britain using a rules light game system. So it sounds like it's more Holy Grail than than other Monty Python stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you can play characters, you can play knights, you can play enchanters, you can play royalty, you can play monks, peasants, you know, all the daft characters in, um, in, uh, Monty Python. You can play all of those. Yes. Each, each of those characters, mm-hmm. there are 20 traits and you have five of them. All right. And, uh, these include things like science or glibness or sorcery or something like that. 
So there's a whole bunch of, there's like 20 traits. They're all just, just like character aspects. Mm-hmm. And you have five of them. And you can have them apparently at different ranks. And you roll a different type of die depending on the silliness of the traits level. Peter yeah, looks I thrilled. I don't quite understand it either. But, hmm. but you know, so that's, is that uh, I feel, Savage I, Worlds? Uh, savage, uh, a little bit, yeah. Different, sav- different, different size die based on yeah, different, yeah, on your skill and how proficient you're on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a little. It sounds a little bit mm. like that. It's just uh, like surreal, absurd. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's that very much that tone of game. So if that's not mm. your vibe of game, mm-hmm. I don't think you'll like yeah. this. Yeah, well, but the GM. Is, yeah, you know what they, they call the GM in this? No, what well, do they? The head of light entertainment. So they're basically modelling it after the BBC. <laughs> Amazing. Peter, you do not look happy. This won't be a game for Peter, and that's I, that, fine. That, that's I, fine. I think that yeah. expression not, very not, much not every game communicates is that. <laughs> not every game is for everyone, yeah. and that's... I am. I, I mean, I can see the choices they're making. They're making it to appeal to a very specific audience. Mm-hmm. I think I would like it better if they'd gone for a more narrative sort of system, and maybe a mm-hmm. way to introduce that sort of zaniness, but. Mm. That's what point I suppose you're not really making a game system, you're just like getting around making dead parrot jokes. I guess yeah. so, yeah. Well, that's the thing. D&D gamers are renowned for quoting Monty Python. So does yeah. that mean Monty Python gamers now are going to have to start quoting D&D? Well, as soon as the movie comes out, sure. Yeah. Maybe. Well, at the moment they're limited to the rubbish D&D movies, but hopefully... Was that... Hopefully there are some better quotes to use. So was that you talking about RPG parodies there, Russ? In a way, because you're I saying what a wonderful a segue, segue <laughs> into our next news item. Oh, just <laughs> reaching, wow. reaching out there. Oh yeah, and then she makes it. Oh, it's what stuff. a professional! Go on, smooth. So let me tell you. So we're all familiar with Munchkin, the card game. Yes. 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 So by Steve Jackson Games. So if you're not, it's like um, a card game that's a parody of RPGs. So if you're an RPG fan, it's mm. it's very much a loving parody of that. So uh, it's a very cool s- yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's a very... Been yeah. in years. It's been a long time since I've played much. It yeah. is, yeah. I mean, it's a silly, light-hearted, quick game, yeah. but it's 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 nice and it's it's funny. Uh, but anyway, Die Wolf Digital and Steve Jackson Games are teaming up to make an official digital adaptation of Munchkin. Die Wolf Digital, yeah. are they the people that recently bought... Cortex. Cortex, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So th- I, I think Die Wolf Digital are very yeah. much yeah. expanding in the tabletop space mm. with, like... Things like that, mm. um, but yeah, so there it's going to be um, available on Android, iOS, and PC coming out in the autumn. It'll be multiplayer, won't it? Uh, yes, there's cross-platform online multiplayer. Oh, that might be fun. Um, okay. And there's also a solo solo challenge mo- mode as well. Mm. But yeah, so um, you can put it on your wish list for Steam at the moment, mm. and in the autumn, it'll be available to try out. So yeah, I might grab I might grab that on my phone. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just fun. It's Munchkin goodness. If you like like yeah. a bit of Molot Hard Munchkin, yeah. that's that. Yeah. So I've got a little bit of news about Paizo. Oh, yeah. So, so Lisa Stevens, oh, who yes, was yes. the founder and um, the CEO for many years mm-hmm. of Paizo, yeah. has officially retired. Now, she kind of semi-retired a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, other people have been running Paizo on her behalf for, uh, for a couple of years now. Yeah. She's now officially fully retired from the industry. Yeah. Um, she came into the industry like back in the eighties or something, something like that, uh, mm-hmm. and um, was working on uh, Ars Magica and stuff like that. She then went on to White Wolf, 
then she went on to Wizards of the Coast, one of the mm-hmm. very first employees of Wizards of the Coast. And then, of course, left Wizards of the Coast to found Paizo, which is where, which she's owned, you know, since then. Mm-hmm. So she's been in the industry for a long, long, long time. And she's yeah. you know, one of the most accomplished people in the entire industry. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, building Paizo, that's, you know. Yeah. It's a bit, you know, it's a, yeah. titan, it's a titan of the but, RPG industry. Yeah, and, and bearing in mind the circumstances upon which they had to adapt to making Paizo the best third-party publisher for D&D 3rd edition, excellent mm. work. And then when they change it to 4th edition, it's like, oh, off you trot, nice work in here, lighters. Um, and then say, well, actually, no, we're going to make our own role-playing game system with something else and something mm. else. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. They're, Pathfinder's they're really like, well. Pathfinder's yeah. consistently like number two to D and D, pretty much. Yeah. I think it's it slips down on the rating sometimes when something exciting and shiny comes back, but then yeah. it mm. it's yeah. Uh, they're number two, they try harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, she's still going to maintain ownership of the company. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's but fair. She won't have she won't have anything to do with actually actively running it. Okay, mm-hmm. she'll be retiring fully. Yeah, oh, which good for her. Good on her. Yeah. Good for her. She's earned it. Yeah. I've um I I know her a little bit not not well but you know I've met her at conventions and yeah. um, exchanged emails with her and stuff like that and I really really like uh, Lisa. She's also a massive massive Star Wars fan to the extent that nice. at her house she's got like I think it's like uh, the cantina or something and like a Star Wars museum Amazing. with loads and loads <laughs> of props and stuff. It's like astonishing. Nice. Yeah, I've seen. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures of it on Facebook and stuff. It's like, wow, fair enough. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of good news, I guess. That's happy news. Yeah, happy retirement. Happy retirement. To yeah. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Well, we've got, we got we have got some negative got news. Coming. I've got some more positive industry okay. news. We okay. want to stay on a roll. Oh, maybe okay. we should have some negative. Then we'll go back to positive. You want to sandwich it? Yes. I say positive. It's more. It's more just. It's more, just, it's more, more just not negative news than anything. It's just neutral <laughs> news. <laughs> yeah, okay. I right. mean. Well, go on. What is it? Okay. Well, Kickstarter have promoted some people internally for their their team that manages kind of games. Uh, mm-hmm. So John Ritter Roderick was the uh, games outreach lead for Tabletop Games and has been since 2020, and right. they've mm-hmm. been direct uh, promoted to director of games now. Uh, in Kickstarter and then so to replace their old role as lead for tabletop Nicole Amato has come in and is is working on that very cool Um, yeah yeah, and John John Ritter like worked on loads of Kickstarter campaigns like Frosthaven and big campaigns like that so it's been a big force in making tabletop Mm. gaming a thing on Kickstarter Mm -hmm. I mean tabletop gaming is massive on Kickstarter yes Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's um it's a big thing, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I don't think that was particularly neutral. I thought that was excellent news for those people. Well, yeah, it's excellent right. news for those people. Hey, like, congratulations. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there we go. Okay, um, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do this is bad news. Oh, no. Okay. No. You're not going to... We've got two. We've got two bad newses. <laughs> is one of them a certain three-letter acronym? One of them is, yeah. Oh, yeah, your, your favourite publisher. <laughs> I'll do on first. No? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, you actually have to publish things to be a publisher, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I put very small stuff that they have. Come on, lads. Catch so. up. <laughs> the TSR News Update. TSR. <laughs> That's like about 90% of the reason why I've published that. Not- <laughs> Just so I can flex on <laughs> 
And when we say TSR, we're not talking about the TSR of old, the original no, founders no, no. of D&D. We're talking about this, this yeah. new TSR, which exists yeah. as it does. Yeah. Tell so us all Justin, about it. Justin Lanasser, the uh, owner of new TSR. Or to give him his full chivalric title, Justin Lanasser. Sir Justin Lanasser. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Justin Lanasser. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I totally forgot that his website is called Sir Justin the Nasser. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, humble, humble person. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, still, I, I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen this uh, this this photo of the Queen knighting him. But yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it must exist out there somewhere. But anyway, uh, how much would it cost? We won't. We, we won't to, dwell on. To, we won't dwell on that. So to, to get the music for sending the clowns to <laughs> Kent State. Anyway, Justin Lanasser decided, <coughs> in his wisdom. That it would be a wonderful idea to send out a spreadsheet containing the names, the addresses, the email addresses, and the credit card numbers of all of his customers. A Excel spreadsheet. An Excel spreadsheet, yes. Unpassworded, unencrypted, plain text... And these are the customers of both TSR and the Dungeon Hobby Shop Museum, which is, you know, related to TSR. Right. And uh, was, I I don't even know how to say, you know, this is basically, it's not a data breach. It's, well, it is, it's a voluntary data breach, I suppose, isn't it? It's like... I mean, it's a breach in the same way that Star Trek uses it when there's a whole breach or the core breaches. Yeah, I suppose so. It's a data handover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not a breach. No one's like, it's not like, oh, we didn't have our firewalls in place. Someone's hacked like, in and nobody's they were just in. like, here yeah. you go. Look at all this. Yeah. Oh, and nice. Oh, the why did they? Yeah. Who, Irresponsibility. Who, who mm. did they send it to and for why? Yes. Okay. Let me pull up the exact details of this remarkable, remarkable situation. Because this is just like quite a wild thing to do. Yeah. So oh. there was a video released by Don Samora of Wizard Tower Games. Mm. Uh, where he says that Justin Anasa emailed him a spreadsheet. This is back in May 2022, actually. Okay. Right. So it's only just come to light now mm-hmm. um, because of sub- subpoenas that have been going out due to the ongoing lawsuit. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. So this includes financial information yeah. for customers and, bus- and business partners, full names, mm. email addresses, home addresses, phone numbers, and credit card numbers, all in plain text, no encoding or encryption. I mean, this is like data, uh, what's it, um, Identity Theft Central. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, did they did they take like little photos and stick them with to aid with the <laughs> well? Pickled? Yeah, yeah. So um, Samora has confirmed that um, they've received two subpoenas related to the lawsuit with Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Also, Michael K. Hovermail. Do you remember Michael? Who is a totally real person. He is a real person. I, I, and I, I used to work regret for... my comments that that was a completely made up name. It is a Michael real ho- Michael person. Yeah. He's a real person. He really person. worked for TSR. Briefly. Has also received a subpoena. Yes. And obviously, Michael K. Hovermel has a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Justin Lanasser's response to this is to email everybody on that list to tell them that um, Samora is lying, that there's a photoshopped document, it doesn't exist. He's called him a liar on social media, claiming it's all faked, and that he hasn't, in fact, sent out all this information. Okay. Yeah. 
Weird, I mean, your face says it all. Chris is not getting the expression which you generally associate with belief. Yeah. One of yeah. Skepticism, disbelief, incredulity. Yeah. Jessica yeah. is currently doing an excellent impersonation of Brodan's to think her. Has she tries, mm. tries to think, what on earth could have gone through his head? <laughs> it's like, I, I gotta say, it's like, a, it's an intense exercise in empathy because I cannot mm. put myself in those shoes that I would yeah. think this would be a good idea. I mean, yeah. So Wizard Tarot Games emailed everyone on that spreadsheet to tell them it had happened because Justin and NASA hadn't done, even though he's legally required to do so. If you yeah, don't have a data breach, you have to immediately yeah. tell people. Um, so Wizard Tower Games emailed the people and also filed a report with the FBI. That That is quite strong evidence, I would say, mm. <laughs> that they, in fact, have the spreadsheet. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so all the transactions with all of these yeah. companies... Yeah. Um, the, uh, they're processed under the name of Port City Cava, which is an oxygen bar and vape e-cigarette store that Justin the NASA owns in North Carolina. Okay. So all of, all of TSR's and Dungeon Hobby Shop's financial transactions go through the accounts of that shop. The vape apparently. shop. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we know, we know for a fact that they're an extremely small business, so mm. I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I mean, you said they, haven't, how pu- um, it, but okay. they haven't published anything, but they did release that Cult of Abaddon thing with the uh, Village of Morris. That existed. That is true. So they haven't okay. released something. There was Dungeon Call the Board Game, and they released some dice, which were apparently just repackaged dice that they got from somewhere else and repackaged them as TSR dice. <laughs> I mean, and Starfront that. is no, no, they haven't released that, have they? That's a playtest copy that got out. With yeah, the stuff lovely. Yeah, yeah, wasn't an actual release. Hmm. Hmm. Um, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, as somebody that does as a business manager, I don't understand why they have people's credit card details in a document because the way yeah. we run, you're not all supposed our to do that. No. Online no. transactions. When you see, yeah. I can't when you store see them. people's credit card details, even yeah. me yeah. as a business when manager. When you store financial information like that, it has to be stored encrypted. Yeah. yeah. You can't go and look at it. But, but, but the question that I think you're no, asking... No, I couldn't get that access that if I wanted to. Is how did they get this information and why are they storing it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. let, let alone why are they not storing it properly? Why do they have... Mm. like that's, that, This is like data protection 101. It's like you do not gather information that you do not need. Mm. Like, absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. Sorry. You say, you say you do not gather information that you do not need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Professionals just... do not gather information that they do not need. Justin Lanasa certainly does. Even with our Kickstarter campaigns, yeah. when we download the backer data to organise it, there's we don't, you don't get the credit well, we card well, details Kickstarter, for it. Kickstarter has all the financial yeah, information there that we just... never even see it. They don't share that with us. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want them to either. What? That yeah, and that's set up. It'd be like, oh god, I've got all this information. I need to store it properly. Ah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't. They don't. They don't but that's, doesn't but share all it. aspects of our business do that. You just have it set up yeah. so that you don't have any individual seeing those details because mm. that just. Yes, I'm, I'm just. Anyway. I'm, I'm just quite, quite upset about this, Jessica. I'm rightly so. I'm, is... I'm more just confused. <laughs> Because I mm. assumed it had been a data breach. Like, maybe, you know, these things happened. Maybe they had mm. a Google spreadsheet with, like, back of data on to fill stuff, names, yeah. dresses. Well, 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 they didn't well, the secure it properly. Any mm. basic software package which processes, like, Payments. Shopify is the most popular one in the world, mm. but there are many others yeah. which processes checkouts for you, mm. yeah. processes financial transactions for you, even if you just use PayPal mm. to, and ask them to yeah. manage the uh, uh, shop front for mm. you. 
all handle that for you yeah. securely. Yeah, and like I don't understand why you could be in a position where the, unless you're just not using any kind of software. Yeah, well, we we can't judge the American system on the sophistication or not, as the case may be, of their financial handling things. Like, but we we can all agree. That, I can and I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't, but we're going to anyway. So fair enough. It's just, they- <laughs> I, I used to own a physical shop as well. Yes. And even then, when I had the till and everything like that, yeah. I couldn't even see that data then for people's card payments when they made it. Because it's just, like, you could see the last four yeah. digits so you could yeah, match yeah. up a transaction. But, like, why mm. Why do you need this? For what purpose? Hello, your editor Daryl here with breaking news. Just after the podcast was recorded, it was revealed that Wizards of the Coast has filed a motion for a preliminary injunction blocking Justin Lanassa and TSR LLC from releasing Star Frontier's new Genesis as part of the ongoing trademark lawsuit. Full details are available at Ian World. Check the show notes for a link. Ooh, I've got a, a slightly related thing about sort of data protection and, on, and online security type stuff. Okay. That I only noticed this morning. Mm. So Patreon, yeah, which we use, mm. which a lot of the tabletop RPG industry yeah, uses, yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah. has allegedly. Mm. Um, I haven't been able to verify this, uh, but oh, allegedly with their security uh, team and sacking, they laid off their entire security team. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is a choice that has been made. Yeah. Um, and it's making me feel quite. Worried. It's like because Not on secure. the one hand, deeply insecure. I want to support <laughs> like the various people that I am paying my Patreon money to. I mean, we rely quite heavily on Patreon. Yeah, I know yeah. that other people do. Other people yeah. do too. It's, yeah. uh, it's a big. It's a big part of our business. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's huge. I mean, Can firing you... your whole data, your data security team. It's just. <laughs> I know. Staying mm. about it. That's that's worrying. Yeah, is but, that yeah. something happened? Is, is there like a security risk within the team? So they're just like, can uh, you keep from all of it? I don't know the details. I have mm. managed to find a tweet here from Emily Metcalf, mm-hmm. who's a security and privacy engineer, mm-hmm. who tweeted, so for better or worse, I and the rest of the Patreon security team are no longer with the company. As a result, I'm looking for a new security or privacy, you know, and mm-hmm. a new job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that seems pretty confirmed to me. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like to keep an eye on that story because that is yeah. rather. Can you? Can, you and have... as someone who uses mm. Patreon as a creator, mm. I've not Patreon hasn't contacted me in any way about this. As, that I'm aware of. Yeah, as yeah. I say, this is the first time hearing I've, of it, and I yeah, should. Yeah, I've, be... I've received no notification at all about this. You can use PayPal to pay on Patreon, though, can't you? Uh, you can pay so, that I'm way. Not sure. I'm not sure. I feel you can. Because that would be another layer of security, I guess, for you. So if you were a supporter of that, you know mm. that it's going via PayPal. So PayPal would protect your card details, maybe. So mm. that might be an option. Yeah. Um, Until we get the, uh, the notice next week, the PayPal is laid off their entire time. Well done. Hopefully, hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just... Yeah. yeah, some of all these companies like diving into blockchain, laying off security. Oh, it's like, oh, stop making bad decisions, companies. I... I've heard some horror stories, but I cannot repeat them. But yeah, wow. <laughs> right, moving on. Moving, moving on. Quickly, quickly. on. So I know you covered the Hadozy last week, the Spelljammer. Yeah, we yeah we briefly talked about the issues of yeah racism. So, kind of moments after you finished recording last week, yeah, Wizards yes. of the Coast posted an apology. They, yes. so you couldn't they you couldn't include that in last conversation. week's show because, yeah. 
Before you even before it was even broadcast. Yeah. Well, we sent obviously send them a copy in advance. So, oh, right, of course. Yeah, like, we're professional. Okay. We always send them a review copy. Right, okay, fair enough. So anyway, yeah. so um, so they apologised. Yes. So this is the first time they've had to do something like this. They apologised uh, like uh, there was uh, the Curse of Stride Vistani thing. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. The sort of unfortunate portrayal of the Vistani in Curse of Stride, which they apologised for and had to yes. revise in future printings. Yeah. Um, also of disabilities in that same book. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Uh, then there was uh, in Strixhaven yes. in twenty twenty one last year. Oh, yeah. There was Tanya DePass's cultural consultancy credit was missing from the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had to apologise for that. Yeah. Now this time, as far as I can make out, and I don't actually have a copy of the book, so I've mm. had to just like Google and read about it. Mm. Um, as far as I can make out, there isn't a, um, a cultural consultancy credit in the book. Mm. I don't know whether that means that again they've missed out the credit. Or there wasn't one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suspect there wasn't one from mm-hmm. this, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Which but I, mm, no. okay. So um, for those who didn't hear last week's show, um, do you want to very quickly elevator pitch? Just recap, and if you want more detail, people can go and um, listen to last week's show. What was what was what was the thing that happened? Uh, and then I'll go in. And then I'll go into the apology that they've released. You got flying monkeys called the Hadazi. They started mm-hmm. off as non-sentient creatures. Erase the sapients by a wizard who enslaved them, and mm-hmm. then they got off. And you know that is a interesting background. Unfortunately, it is also beat for beat a common myth told about black people by colonialist powers by the Confederate slave states, and is just generally yeah not not an okay thing to do, especially when you then take monkeys, which are to this present day still being used to. Um, be racist towards black people as a stereotype, yeah, yeah. and then in a pejorative manner, yeah, and then whacking a minstrel in a uh, it's supposed to be a bar, but like in the artwork, yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. wow, it's it's yeah, that 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 was a series of choices and sign offs, and even my little tiny one person publishing thing hat gets in editors, proofreaders, layout artists, yeah, somebody should have noticed art yeah. commissions. It's like no. the wizards has billions of dollars. Someone should have said, "Wait, wait." And also, and then we come to the apology, and mm. you were going to tell us so a bit more the, about it. Yeah, so we've got the apology here. So yes. they put the apology up on their website. Yeah, I don't read the whole thing; it's longish. Yeah. But um, so we wanted to acknowledge and own the inclusion of offensive material yeah. with our recent Spelljammer Adventures in Space content. We failed you, our players, and our fans, and we are truly sorry. Then they go on to sum it up and um, yeah. say. And I think they mentioned that the the material is older and is problematic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they mm-hmm. have removed mm. the offensive content from the D&D Beyond versions of the game. Yes. Of the books. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, they, they, they can't remove it from the physical copies that have already been sold, yeah. but they in future reprints, that is going to be yes. removed. Um, so they are taking action to make things right, yeah. which is a good thing. The problem is it shouldn't have happened in the first place, of course. Yeah. But yeah. given that it has happened, they are taking action to make things right. I mean, what do you think of this apology? Do you think it's... Uh... Oh, it feels kind of insincere It feels insincere to you? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say why it feels insincere. It's not yeah. something I throw about lightly. I say it feels mm-hmm. insincere because they know that they have problems. Like, you know, mm. we've had the Visali. They've been bitten before. Apology, it's all just the same thing over and over again, right? And mm. apologises it. Does that apology seem sincere? I'm like, well, you know, you're a billion-dollar company. You know about cultural consultancy. You ha- you can afford it. 
where has it yeah. gone wrong in your decision making process it feels mm. like a structural management issue that you're not addressing it it's, it seems like an, an endemic issue that yeah. they haven't managed to address yet yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's like all they all they needed was like I have respect for a lot of the work that they have done but I find it extremely hard to believe that in the room of what 20 people because I mean how many people would have worked on this there's at least four five six sets of eyes looked on it not one of these very intelligent people who are we are led to believe working at the number one role-playing game manufacturer in the entire world mm. not one of these people has just thought oh I should raise this this is a problem mm. and that that is like I mean yeah, I, I, yeah I I wonder, I'm what, not from the it, US and I know yeah, I wonder what this. the envi- I wonder what the environment is that yeah. makes you I mean, presumably, as you say, someone's people saw it. They must yeah. have done because that probably doesn't go out without people seeing it. Yeah. I mean, what environment is it where you don't say something? Yeah. When it's, you see it's that, when you don't, is it a case of not spotting it, yeah. or is it a case of yeah. seeing it but thinking someone else will do it, or is it a case of seeing it and mm. think you'll get into trouble for saying something? Or what is the what is the yeah it, thing it, that happens that makes someone mm-hmm. not say something? It, yeah. it could be that people don't see it because there's not a diverse group of people I mean, in the room. Least, yeah, there, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. It could be ignorance it could, is yeah. a thing that exists in the world, it, which, which is an issue you need to mm, fix by yeah. having a my, more diverse group of people yeah. working, and a consultant. or if you yeah. don't have people in house, getting a cultural consultant, mm. yeah. or it's that people do see it, but when they say something, it's ignored. Mm. Right. And that's, that's another cultural yeah. corporate yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that's worked yeah. in corporations, how many people have worked somewhere, seen an issue, highlighted mm. it, and then nothing's mm. happened? Yeah. I'm sure we can all relate to so. that. Uh, so that could also be the thing. No. Or it could be that people are even too afraid to say anything because... Mm. It's hard to know, Yeah, it's it? hard, it's hard well, to know. Without working there and knowing, it's no. difficult to say. But some, yeah, mm. some things, meaning they're having to keep repeating uh, the apologies other, the other for part things. Of it, the bit that mm. sort of bewilders me a little bit is that somebody, and we mm. don't know who exactly, no. somebody sat down no. and wrote that. Yes. And was like, good. <laughs> and I assume the Wizard of the Coast knows exactly who wrote that, no. but... We, we we don't know, you know, and we then, know who worked on the books. We don't know who right. wrote and, what. And then the person but, running the project picked it up, looked at that writer's work, and went good. And then some, yeah. the editor went through to read it and went good. So it's, yeah. there's the so many stages. It's like, yeah, this seems legit. And then yeah. someone in the marketing team, like, mm. you I, don't know. Know. I don't know, I don't know, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I mean, we're not saying it's like. I, I mean, obviously, it's like the writer doing it. I mean, they're working to some sort of brief. Is it? Is uh, it from the presumably a, presumably a freelancer, but I couldn't. I don't know. Ah, goodness. Yeah. So no, it's not from the old law. That's the whole thing. So oh. how does he have been around since the nineteen eighties? Yeah. This is new. That law was oh. new. Yeah. This bit of law is oh. new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they could just kept the old law, it would have been okay. As an audio description, Peter is now throwing their hands in the air in a manner that shows disbelief. Okay. So yeah, I'm just going to say no. Apologies, not sincere. And I'm mm. actually thinking, is this, this, this is, that, that is, how do I say, beat for beat, a copy of white supremacist propaganda. And the fact that it's brand new is, I, yeah, I mean, okay, fine. It comes from the 80s, it comes from the 70s. People had some views back then that were not good. Mm. But in 2022, right? I mean, just, just oh, sorry. Um, no, I, I'm sorry, I do not find that apology sincere at all. Um, yeah. And also the way they treat it afterwards, which is that they remove everything. Mm. They remove all of it. 
And then there's nothing to there's no consideration about putting something back into place. I I yeah. imagine well, that's, that's the quick I imagine do, I they have plans to do something, but that does take time. So the quick thing you can mm. do straight away is just remove it so it's not yeah. doing any more harm yeah. in the moment as much yeah, as yeah. you can. Yeah, I, yeah, imagine... no, I think that was the right decision. Remove it as remove it quickly. Well, and then if you need to put more replacement text in, you can do that later. Because I imagine they're re-looking at the books because they're gonna have to re-edit the books for future print mm. runs so yeah. it doesn't include this. I imagine yeah. they're like, well, let's Let's just just give them some different law, like yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah, but it should be different law. But that's a, a common complaint I'm seeing, which is mm-hmm. that the problematic stuff is being taken out, and nothing new is replacing it. Hmm. And that seems like a really wild thing to do. Because that's the thing mm-hmm. that really is annoying people. And and to be fair, right, you shouldn't have to look at a manufacturer's stuff and have to identify which bits are racist and problematic. You should be just mm. be able to like. Oh, these are trustworthy people. This is a good company. They are not going to give me stuff that will make other people stare at me in shock and horror and say, oh, God, that's super racist. What are you doing? And, mm. yeah, no, that, 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 that yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'll be part of that. So, yeah, let's move, let's move on because yeah. we don't want to dwell too much on the bad stuff. Let's go mm-hmm. on to something positive. Mm-hmm. So there's a Kickstarter that's caught my eye. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is from N.T. Black, Ooh. who is a DMs Guild author, very successful one. Yeah. Um, what? Very yeah, one of the mm. most successful um, creators on the on the D and D scene. Um, yes. So um, I'm just looking at the Kickstarter here. He's got more than fifty platinum bestsellers and a hundred thousand book sales on DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. So he's done very, very, very well. Mm. So anyway, he has on Kickstarter a book called The Anatomy of Adventure, which is uh, where he shares his expertise, shares the secrets of superb adventure design. Oh, nice. Uh, so this book looks really interesting. Are you going to back this? Mm. It's got chapters. It's got twenty odd chapters, and it talks about all sorts of elements of adventure design. One chapter, I, the one I immediately saw was chapter eleven: why good books don't sell, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's a it's a whole it's a whole book about adventure design, yeah, okay. about meaningful choices, mm. about you know how to use horror, how to use this, how to do that, mm. elements of an encounter. You know, um, frustrated novelist syndrome is um, <laughs> chapter sixteen. You know. So, when the well runs dry, which I assume is talking a little bit about... Um, when you're out of inspiration for creation yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Writer's block is the mm. phrase I'm Yeah. No. Yeah, it looks really interesting. So, I am going to back this. Mm. So, it's doing it's doing pretty well. It's done... It's just come up to, what, 13,000 Australian dollars. When is it due to come out? Uh, well, it's 26 days left on the Kickstarter. The book has a release of January 2023. Uh, for digital or March for physical. Mm, okay. Yeah, it looks really cool. And, uh, you know, I know Empty Black, um, definitely one of the most prolific and successful and accomplished mm. DM skill creators. Any advice coming from that direction, I think, is definitely valuable and worth, worth, worth gobbling up. Sure. Yeah. What was the book called? A Superb Adventures. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm just Googling the, things. <laughs> The Anatomy of Adventure. The Anatomy of Adventure. Ah, that's a strong yeah. name. See, it's a shame we're not doing the guest Kickstarter game anymore because I could nail that one. <laughs> you yeah. could have done, yeah. You'd have got that one. Yeah. I've seen a Kickstarter that I think looks really fun as well. Yeah. Uh, it's mm. called A Selection of Slimes and Odd Oozes ah. for RPGs. Ah. Um, oh, that, is that Phil Reed? Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he works at Steve Jackson that. Games. Yeah. Um, it's just, he's been on the show as well. Mm. Just It just seems fun. 
Like, sure. It's got like a load of 11 different slimes for, suitable for inflicting pain and suffering on your adventurers. Like, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and it says it's for use for the most fantasy role playing games. So you can, uh, mm-hmm. I guess that will work with 5e. But yeah, it just, yeah. how fun. Phil, Phil, Phil Reed basically is a lot like us with our mini quick starters. Mm-hmm. He does an awful lot of those too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his, his tend to be, ours, ours are all quite similar to each other. He tends to be quite experimental with him, mm-hmm. with his. Sometimes he's released like adventures on like records mm-hmm. and things. Um, yeah. you know, he, he does, he does lots of really sort of odd experimental stuff. A lot of it's for Mork Borg, but he does it for other things as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he does really, he does do really fun stuff. Mm. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I just, I thought that was, um, I thought it looked quite fun. Yeah. Right. So, Blade Runner starter set. Yes. So, Blade Runner RPG came out, is it out? It's not is shipped yet. I've ba- it not I've shipped backed yet? it and I've not received my rewards. I think, I seem to remember getting the PDF or am I, am I imagining that? Oh yeah, I have got the PDF. Yeah, they did that. Right. The, yeah, okay, but not but the not actual... The because I backed for the full um, okay. thing. Well, the starter set, according to ICV2, is going into retail in November. Cool. So the starter set contains an 80-page rule book, mm-hmm. a full-color map of Los Angeles in the year 2037, mm-hmm. and a 56-page adventure called Electric Dreams, which is like an introductory case. Mm-hmm. And it sells for forty nine ninety nine. Well, they're, they're shipping to backers in November, so that's why. Right, so I probably, guess it's at the same time. Yes, yeah, so I, I imagine they're just sending mm. old hats backers, and then it is going to retail as well. Yeah, uh, there's nothing. You can get some critical role makeup. Should you should you wish to have critical role Ooh. makeup? Ooh. What who what is, is it? Who is providing the critical role makeup? Um, so this is critical role and hip dot, which I assume is a makeup company. I guess. Okay. Um, and it's mighty nine themed makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hip.Cosmetics. Cosmetics. Mm. Uh, a line of makeup inspired by the mighty nine. Is it nine or mean? Nine. Nine. Anyway. Yeah. Especially themed cosmetics about Critical Role Campaign 2. Mm. So. Oh, they've got like an uh, eyeshadow palette. Yeah, they've got loads of stuff there. Mm. Um, there's a highlighter. Like a pink <laughs> lipstick. Oh, they've got some nice eyeliner. Hmm. Mm. Well, there you go. If you, if you wanted Critical Role makeup... You can have it. That's fantastic. Is there any more news that you two can think of that I have not mentioned? I think... Oh, there's one piece of news. Oh, go uh, on. Cheeky bit of news. Uh, a cheeky, cheeky bit of our own news. Dungeon Delver's Guide, as I look at it right now, yes. is at £109.536. £109.536. Woo! Well which puts it about £370 away Ooh. from its next stretch goal. The first one was at 100 grand, yes. and at that point we unlocked the uh, digital um, random, random dungeon, dungeon generator, generator yeah. which Paul Hughes mm. is hammering away at the code of, as yeah. we speak. Good lad. And at 110,000 mm-hmm. is where we start unlocking some of the extra tile sets for it. So the mm-hmm. first one was Bastion, I believe. I'm trying to understand yeah, this now. Uh, the second one will be Caverns. Mm. And then future ones, I can't remember the order, but there's Dungeons, ruins, maybe. sewers, yeah. laboratories, yeah. Uh, temples, various, various ones. Lovely. So that, that is a thing. So mm-hmm. we're doing really well. We've got 24 days left to go. Yeah. yeah. £110,000, which is very, very nice. It I've is been, amazing. Yeah, I've been prepping stuff ready for shipping already. 
So I've contacted mm. our warehouses. We've penciled in the fulfillment dates nice. um, with rough numbers. Obviously, can confirm it in a month's time. <laughs> <laughs> but based on how many we've already got, you know, mm. and where I think mm. it's going to go, I've got a rough mm. idea. We've spoken yeah. to the printers uh, currently, so we can get that ready to go. So we're getting everything ready mm. so that we can have books in everyone's hands in March time. Subject what to time? no further global pandemics, wars, yeah. plagues. Uh, <laughs> I, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. these things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah a boat getting stuck in some canal somewhere and ruining global shipping. You know, yeah. <laughs> Subject to none of those things should be fine. Yeah. Oh, right. That's our news. Thank you for news there. Hmm. And I think with that, we are done. Yes. Welcome, travellers, to my spell jammer. You're what now? My spell jar. Tis a sailing ship which can fly between the stars. Fly between the stars? What what piffle is this? Oh, I assure you, my friend, it is no piffle. This mighty vessel can travel from one world to the next and explore the many wonders of the multiverse. <gasps> wow, can it fly to little Badgerington upon fly? <laughs> it can fly a thousand times farther than that, my brave wanderer. Uh, what is this multiverse you're speaking about? Why, this is not the only world in the cosmos. We can visit Kryn, home of the fabled dragonlances, or Athas, a burnt desert ruled by dread sorcerer kings. Surely you jest, Captain. There are no such realms. Oh, but there are. And many others besides. You can travel to Tyrell, the realm that was forgotten. Or to Eberron, a world of magical artifice. By getting on this... ship? Spelljammer, yes. Which will then leap into the air and fly through the ether to these wondrous lands? Precisely. So, brave souls, will you join me? Is it dangerous? Well, there are pirate hippos, cosmic horrors, mind flares, murderoids, and death spiders. That sounds pretty dangerous to me. But there are also robot gnomes and miniature giant space hamsters, as well as the full-size ones. So it's not all that bad. Uh, Sorry, robot gnomes? Space hamsters? Giant space hamsters. Oh, surely this is a joke. Yeah, not a very funny one at that. It is no joke, my friends. Come with me and ye shall see for yourselves. Oh, I don't know. It sounds a bit perilous. Very perilous. Ah, far too perilous for me. Or perhaps we could go somewhere a little, you know, less perilous. What? Are ye brave adventurers or not? Well, us. Brave adventurers? We're more the rats in the cellar type. Yeah, goblins in the woods. You know, bandits on the East Road. Maybe the odd bear owl. Wait, what? What? That thing you just said. What? Bear owl? Yes, that. What manner of creature is a bear owl? Oh, well, it's a half bear, half owl. Bear owl. Quite common around here. A half bear, half owl? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like a bear head on an owl body? Ah, more like an owl head on a bear body. Yeah, with, with feathers. You're telling me... That there is a creature which is a combination of a bear and an owl. Yeah, exactly. And and and, and this this unholy abomination is called a uh 
A, a bear owl. Yes. Now that's just too much. I'm Egg Embry. This is Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This is Five Minutes in Dragon Con, and I'm here with Steve Jackson at Steve Jackson Games. And Steve, I want to ask you about your current Kickstarter. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Yeah, it's awesome. You should support it. I, I bet you want more detail than that, Egg. Okay, it's for two main items with a third really sweet one coming in if we get enough support. Uh, one of them is a fantasy trip source book. Uh, it's called the Torio School of Magic. And this school of magic is not your Harry Potter. This is a school of combat magic, and not nearly all of the freshmen survive to graduate. Uh, but if they do survive, they're well-schooled and mean. This is written by David Pulver, who is a longtime TFT writer, and it's got a beautiful cover, and we worked on this for a long time, and it's fairly awesome. So if you think you would like that for a campaign setting, please look at the Kickstarter. The second thing on the Kickstarter is issue number 10 of our fantasy trip zine, uh, which is called Hexagram. And we've got a number of fantasy trip articles, a crystal generation table, a piece on generating inns and taverns and what to do when you get there, and a lot of other things. And if we hit the stretch goal, then there will be added to the physical support levels for free a new quick quest, a short trifold TFT adventure. Now, I say TFT adventure, but the way the quick quests are written, they're almost systemless. Uh, the stats in there are easy to decode, and they're written for a, I don't want to say generic, but I'm going to say generic. They're written for a fairly generic fantasy background. Mm -hmm. So you can take your elves and your orcs and whack them and uh, do the thing. Please support it. Check it out. It's on, uh, on Kickstarter now. The keyword you want is hexagram. Very nice. Uh, if fans want to find you elsewhere, where can they uh, reach out to you? They can reach me at sj at sjgames.com. The website is sjgames.com. But, you know, you send, send me email. I read it. <laughs> awesome. Well, appreciate your time. Hey, I, I appreciate the interview. Con. Thank you. I'm having a great Dragon Con. Awesome. Um, we'll talk to you next time. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget... Patreon.com slash Morris. Can I go now?
For topic of the week, I have been on Not D&D getting guests in uh, ready for October. We're going to do like kind of horror themed indie games because October Mm. Halloween. So I've been speaking to a lot of creators about this. And obviously with horror games, uh, setting the tone and the atmosphere and environment for a game is really important. Um, So and obviously... I think that can extend to any tabletop RPG. So I wanted the topic for us to talk about yeah. to be, because I'm not a GM, but you two are, uh, talk about how you use like music or props or light, all these different things. How do you use that to create an atmosphere when you're mm. running a game? So when someone talks about game and atmospheres to me, the very first thing my mind jumps to is horror games. Yeah. But of course. And I guess that's the thing that a lot of people jump to immediately. They think, how can I make Ravenloft feel spooky or whatever? Yeah. But that is, of course, not the only atmosphere you can have in a game. Mm-hmm. This is a much bigger topic than that. Yeah. So other than horror, what sort of like strong atmospheres do you, like stock atmospheres do you think need to be brought into a game? Oh, heist planning. Okay. So a sort of tenseness. Yeah. Um, like a, re- a real sort of sense of Closer plan, like working together to solve a puzzle and um, doing it. Uh, maybe with a sense of time pressure as well. Just yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, time pressure and things like that is a classic way of yeah. affecting the atmosphere of the game. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a, a, a ticking clock of some kind, that adds to the tension, and that definitely, definitely makes mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. Like as as much as music or lighting does, that really does help. I think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another thing is wanting to feel like an epic hero and having a sense of of scale. You know, like in... I always think Marvel does this well in films. You know, when they have, like, the end game and everyone comes together and it's this Mm. big moment and all the heroes are there and they're gearing up for the fight. And And the music swells up. (laughs) Creating that vibe, I think, in a game Mm. is really good as well. Especially if you're playing a classic fantasy or a hero game. memory just flash into my head from when I was... It must have been like 18 or 17 or something. We were at a friend's house playing D&D. We were playing Dragonlance. I can't remember which module it was, but it was a module which had people mounted on dragons. Oh, nice. In an underground cave of some kind. It might have been like, I can't remember where or what it was. And there was lava or something. And the music we had on in the background, for whatever reason, was like the Rambo soundtrack or something like that, I think it was. It was just like, because it was, you know, it's just whatever cassette we could find at the time. Yeah. To put into the high price cassette. System. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just as cassette? What? I know a what cassette. Is, what is this thing of which you speak? I was, I was born in the 80s, I know. <laughs> uh, but some, I, I remember this moment where, for some, whatever reason, we were swooping down on a dragon above a lava field and just at the same moment the music on the cassette coincidentally swelled right up at the right moment and we all just like paused and went, whoa, did you just feel that? Mm. And there was for like this atmosphere in the room for, you know, mm. everything combined and worked like this sense, this sense of drama and mm. grandeur just like in the room and it really, yeah. really worked for that moment mm. that everyone felt it at the same time. It was really good. I think yeah. music is so powerful for creating uh, atmosphere and things. Mm. And even if it's just um, ambient music, like, you're in a tavern and you have some little tavern music going, like someone playing and you can hear people chatting. It can make you feel like you're kind of in that space a lot more. I remember when I ran Curse of Strahd, so I turned up at my friend Nick's house to run the first session and he decked out his dining room, like turned the lights off, put, 
candles in like skull shaped containers on the table and just like a, like a red tablecloth and everything if I remember I'm probably remembering it more mm. dramatically than it actually was but yeah. Um, yeah. He, de- he decked out the room so you walked in and there was its atmosphere there already that was mm. pretty cool Peter nice. do you use music in your games at all? Um, oh, Peter famously sings along with the action I can picture you singing on the fly in musical form. Have you played a bard, Peter? Because I can imagine you playing a good bard. Uh, Yeah, I I have definitely played a bard. Mm -hmm. I've done a not so much during a game, but I've done a recap from levels one to ten in the Skaldic tradition, uh, which was you know it took about three four minutes, but was quite well received. The thing I find best to be able to do is to pause. Sometimes you have to speak quite quietly. Other times you want to get people's attention right on what you're doing. And mm-hmm. you can do that by changing your delivery and the volume of your voice. So that mm-hmm. is like maybe more your basic GMing there's, but it can yeah. very much help. There's, there's a tool that you can use in real life games as opposed to on Zoom and stuff which you mm-hmm. can't use on Zoom so much which is yeah. body language and you can mm-hmm. literally stand up and walk around a little bit and things oh. like that which yeah. you cannot do on Zoom particularly mm-hmm. and that yeah. I find really really useful because I like to stand up quite a lot when I'm running a game. Oh. I, 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 I find I got on yeah. that sort of command of the room it works better for me yeah. I, rather than sitting down at yeah. a table and peering over a screen at people don't yeah. like that at all so mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. To, to keep like a sense of immediacy to keep action mm. flowing and yeah. to really get an intensity to the thing yeah, like yeah. I, can move, I can move her out a little bit as well yeah. you know and things like that which helps yeah. I think yeah because I can't do accents or anything like that so I can't rely I on voice lie. particularly yeah. so I have to rely yeah. on other things mm-hmm. other tools yeah, yeah. so I mean, that's getting off topic a little bit from atmosphere. No, it's creating a, yeah, it's you're creating yeah. atmosphere with your delivery and the way mm. you speak, and that yeah. that makes sense as well. Yeah. I mean, you do not have to be a great performer to be GM. You don't even have to be a great performer to be a good GM. Mm-hmm. But I will say it probably helps. Yeah, like, mute music definitely helps. Props. Uh, one of the things I personally... Ah, oh, I mean... This this is a very fortuitous topic for us mm. because how do you personally feel about cracking codes? Um, I think it can get boring if it takes too long. If it's a code um. that the players are going to crack in a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. fine. If it's going to take them ten minutes, fifteen minutes, probably not. Oh, okay. I think that's boring. I think it becomes boring at that point. Okay, I, so. I as a player tend to check out. Because I'm not very good at them. And so what I'll generally do, and also because there are players at my table who are good at it. So when Mm. that happens, my brain goes, oh, they're going to do that now. And they do. They jump in. They're like, oh, they're freaking out. I'm like, cool. I'll have a cup of tea. We were talking about riddles recently, weren't we, in puzzles? Mm. A couple of episodes ago. The same thing where the goal of the riddle and the puzzle has to be to be cracked. And yeah. answered. It has to be easy because oh, that's yeah. that's its function. It's not there yeah. to stymie the players. Mm-hmm. It, it's like you put an obstacle or prevent an advance. Like you force yeah, yeah. your players. You're not it hind- hinders them. them in some way. Yeah, yes. yeah. But able- they are there for the players to overcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking because I know your character in my game is very much into their secrets mm-hmm. and what finer and more interesting secret to have a crack at. Then uh, a coded message yeah, or a yeah. coded bit of information. Yeah, it has to be easy. I so, think. do you think the the props, yeah. those puzzles, create a certain atmosphere? Then, and I think they can. Yeah. Mm. See, so, yeah, the the 
as, as long as it's not a frustrating atmosphere, mm. which is very, very easy to do. Yeah. Um, as long as it's not a frustrating atmosphere, it can be quite an engaging collaborative Mm-hmm. Yeah. atmosphere which, which you get out of that especially if it has physical props this is again a thing you mm-hmm. can't do on Zoom so much but if you can literally hand a parchment over to pl- the players or a, mm-hmm. or a box or, or, or something a yeah. physical prop or, yeah. over to them there is that adds something to the game that is invaluable I think yeah. I think I, you know I think I think props are amazing in RPGs oh like uh, your GM Jess uh, Dave I think it was Oh yeah, my GM. I thought you said yeah. I thought you were saying I was a GM. That's why I made that face to you. Like, no, famously no, not. Okay. But yeah, sorry, uh, my GM. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, in the game he ran of Advanced Fist Edition at UK Games Expo, mm-hmm. broke out a a clay pot and a yeah. hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, we got this thing. Here's the hammer. I'm like, you want me to break this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> he does a lot of things like that. And yeah. um, on the first game of that, I w- it was another group was in it. They had this prop for weeks before they realised they could break it. Mm-hmm. And they were, car- they, ha- they were carrying it around to them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because I think sometimes the, the players, they didn't realise they had permission to, to do that. Yeah. So I think it can create surprise. Yeah. Because it almost, not breaking the fourth wall, because that's not the right term for it. But do you know what I mean? It has that sort of effect of, I hadn't even mm-hmm. occurred to me that I could break this prop mm. like now yeah. he, he tends to make it more obvious now by like also putting a hammer on the table this yeah. <laughs> for you but still yeah. everyone always they're like you want me to break this and it's like yeah i mm. I, I mean it just very much depends i'm mm. like i would explicitly ask permission to hit something with a hammer to break it yeah whereas if you give my wife anything she'll be like fiddling around with it and then you'll hear like a little crack you'll be like Oh, she's broken it now. Not because she means to. She's just oh, so much. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. playing. It's been run by Simon Leach. You know Simon, don't you? Yeah, just yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, over at Angus's house, and for that campaign, he had this box of props. It was like a big box, mm. and it was full of like old tiny pictures and like compasses and. You know, manuscripts and newspaper clippings and all sorts of stuff. That's just tons of it. And it was, he put so much effort into it, really. Mm. Like, he turned up with all that and we were like, wow. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's almost a little bit intimidating the amount of effort he put into it. It's like really impressive. And he's an artist, though. So I imagine creating things is his real wheelhouse as well. And I I do think props can create an atmosphere and a vibe for where you are because it just gives you some, you know, physical grounding into the game you're in, which is. It's always fun and nice. Mm. Maps. Maps are good, good, yeah. If you can get like a decent sized map and spread it out on the table, I really miss that. I really mm. be able to just like get a map, put it on the table and say, ah, oh, here you go. And what? then people can like push stuff around on it and mm. like, you know, just plan and yeah. a map is just like a really powerful. You're making me really, really nostalgic for in person gaming again now. <laughs> yep. So much. I enjoy it so much more than Zoom games. I mean, so much more. Mm-hmm. All the things we are talking about here is in-person creating atmosphere mm. and games. Yes. But obviously so how that... do you do it? How do you do it on Zoom then? Exactly. Yeah? Or that's whatever, what I was going to say. Your I think thing of choices. That's a more difficult thing to do. So you yeah. can do music. Yeah. Absolutely. There's I think music is, music is easier because um, you can have a soundboard on your computer and like Roll20 yeah. has, uh, which is you can what also, I use. You can also use, you can be bothered, voice changes and stuff, which is kind of fun. That's something my GM I mean, does I've, I've as well. certainly never looked into that, but I know it's a thing that you can do. And that yeah. they do that for different NPCs, so we know mm. who, who it is. Mm. And so 
that creates it quite makes it quite fun as well because like, we've heard this voice before where have we heard it and um yeah so various like ethereal gods or entities mm. and stuff there are specific mm. voice mods for that yeah um, okay so like this is the voice of the mr Rons, but yeah, like has that's a sort of thing. That's sort of thing, yeah. uh, that's, that's, uh, that is something that would be quite good for you russ because like you don't mm-hmm. do accents, so it'd be yeah. But you can't really do that in real life so much. You have you can only really do that. Over I'm sure you can buy something that can, but it's so much easier yeah. online to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, other things that I particularly like things that things that I can do on roll twenty, which I would find much more challenging in person, is vision, which is uh, very much an ignored aspect. For, of for, for like, stuff, like pictures yeah. and stuff. Like you walk in and see this NPC, and you can put an image uh, up. Do you mean or? Yes, yes, that is true. I could do that. Uh, I was thinking specifically Fog of War. Um, oh, because, yeah, on yeah. Ma- yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that is yeah. very fun um, on battle maps for Fog of War, yeah. I, I, and, and honestly, that is uh, a thing that led me to just trying to say, I do not like dark vision. I do not like parties where they have dark vision and they do not have dark vision. Either have what, either everyone has it or, because like, I was running a game and somebody chose a character without dark vision and like for a lot of the time they were just like going well i can see about 20 foot around me like four or five squares and everyone was like oh no, we can see all this stuff and it was just like it felt really bad mm. whereas you can get a real sense of claustrophobia going on if you can have a properly put in fog of war like the dynamic mm. lighting in roll 20 i just i just love it it's very it good makes, yeah it just makes me so it's, happy it can be fiddly to set up from what i understand though. seems like a lot of work though to me no not really mm. oh there like, we go no. I, I, but I the number, the number, you. the number of times though I've been in a World Twenty game and the game has been held up for ten seconds while someone's fiddling with layers and dynamic lighting and stuff, it's just like I feel like World Twenty. I don't think I'll ever run a game using World Twenty because it just seems too fiddly to me. Okay, Fair I enough. mean, I currently have the choice of World Twenty or not. I do have yeah. Foundry. I am at some point, I guess, going to have to sit and watch YouTube videos. To bootstrap my way into being able to use Foundry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've never Oof. used it myself either. Yeah. It yeah. looks very pretty, but I've never used it. Well, there's yeah. one called Albert. We're going off topic here, anyway. Albert Radio. But there's one called o- mm. Albert Radio, which is very simple and slick to use. No. It doesn't have all the features. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Gizmos and stuff. But it is. It doesn't get in the way of that, the gaming either. That's what the Starcross mm. Seaway use um, mm. for their weekly game. They use that mm. for um, yeah. for the stream. Nice. Uh, yeah, but anyway, we've gone a bit off topic. So, what yeah. other atmospheres mm-hmm. are there? That you can, so, horror is an obvious one. Drama is an obvious one. Tension what, is an obvious what, one. Well, I hadn't finished talking about things I could do in online, uh, online which I could not do because we also haven't talked about things like with Roll Twenty. You can have uh, different. You can set up your own dice, which, and you're like, okay, great. So what? But if you take a dice and set it so that you can choose which side it is then you can just automatically flip it between different figures. So it's like you've got basically for these things like shape changes, you could do that. And what I wish I had done, but which I didn't do, I previously had a battle which was a bunch of, there was a central whirling vortex and the heroes were fighting on bits of rock. What I should have done, I see in retrospect, is I should have used that on the background to have six sides to represent the rocks moving around by going from 1 to 6, say, or 1 to 8, and just having each of those sides be the rocks in a different position and having a different effect. And you can get some very nice maps online where they have this sort of, the world is changing uh, over the course of, say, three maps. So you get those 
whack them into a dice, put it on the map player, and then the first one is the first one, and then it has time progresses, you can switch and go down. And I wish I thought of doing that, but um, I haven't really appreciated exactly how to do that. But yeah, that is a thing you can do. Anyway, Wes, I'm sorry. You were telling us about different genres. Hmm. So, yeah, I was asking what different atmospheres would you want to add to your game? So mm. horror was the one that we jumped to immediately. Yes. Drama, sort of like big epic drama heroism mm. is, is one. Tension yeah. is one that we brought up. What other ones are there that you might want to add into a game? Like maybe levity, maybe some kind of banquet or some kind of ball with a bit of levity and, a you, you know, music playing and... Um, yeah. I find levity can be quite distracting from games. It's like it's important to have laughter in your games. And even in things like Curse of Strahd, you do not want unremitting horror, gloom, and tension. You want yeah, you want a roller coaster, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because then that makes the horror sort of worse or more acceptable. Uh, the thing that I would be very interested in working out how to do one, I'd like to know how to do horror properly because I've never succeeded at running a horror game. I would dearly love to be able to do it. But the most, best the best I can do, you're right, is spooky action. And another thing that I would be very interested in, I'm not sure how comfortable I'm with it, would be romance. Mm. Because, right. that, because things like... Is that romance cattle hour or romance small hour? How romance as in love stories or romances in the whole socio-political type genre? Uh, love stories. Like right, um, okay. things like... Like, there's a lot of, like, Pride and Prejudice yeah. inspired yeah, games. Yeah, that's really yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know Paul Hughes is quite yeah. keen on doing something with that, maybe with an elven court twist. And I think that'd be absolutely amazing. But And I know that's it's extremely popular. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know how I would do this. I've never seen it. Yeah, you definitely need the right players for that as well. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. I said I've I've played some RPGs that play on kind of romance and things like that, and you do need to have people you feel safe playing with and mm. really clear consent and boundaries as well. Yeah, right. I think I'd feel uncomfortable with that. I think I don't know because I've not tried it, but mm. I think I would. I think I would. Yeah, and a lot of people. Yeah, but that's why you have the consent and boundaries things in place. Yeah. So. You, yeah. Everyone knows where the line are and what's kind mm. of, you know, going yeah. on with it. And also, I think why in romance the regency period uh, is so popular is because there's very strict and structured yes. social rules and mm. you you don't, there's no touching as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that feels as a player yeah. very safe to role play in that environment because you know you're not going to be left alone with somebody. There's nothing, nothing like that's mm. going to happen. It's all very subtle. Um, mm. And so that feels a lot safer, well, for me, certainly to play in. So whenever I've played romance, LARPs or tabletop RPGs, it's generally been in one of those settings where we've been quite posh regency people. So it's all, yeah. nothing too risque is happening. Something simply as, oh, wander through the gardens, Mr. Darcy, might be enough to be scandalous, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd want to run like a whole campaign, but maybe one off. Or just mm-hmm. a way to increase my skill set so that I could also bring elements of that into a game if that's what my players wanted to do. Because yeah. currently I'm just like, can't help you. I don't really know what I'll do with it. <laughs> yeah. One emotion to invoke as well is, is sadness in a game as well. If you mm. want to 
make your players feel sad in some way. Now, the obvious way to, yeah. to do that is to give them something to care about and then take it away in the, mm-hmm. the Peter Mollis new style of, of digital games that he makes. He's like, hey, you get this cute puppy with you. Oh, no, the puppy's died. <laughs> like, that's what Peter Molyneux does in all his games. You can do something like that, obviously, with consent role-playing games, but my GM, to make this atmosphere, has done something a bit Pavlovian with us. Every time in our first campaign something a bit sad happened, he played a particular type of music, which was just a piano... I was going to try and sing it, but it's a piano thing, so that wouldn't make sense. It's just this little piano tune that's quite sad and somber. And we've been playing together for like five years now. And now, when something Mm -hmm. sad is about to happen... He plays the music and all the players go, oh no, Uh, because we're instantly like, something bad's happening. Because now we've got that association so heavily with this piece Mm. of music and that emotion, that piece of music takes us straight in. Um, So that's an interesting way to, to do that. Yeah, another hard one sometimes is a sense of danger, but not danger. You know, you want players to be afraid, but not afraid in the spooky horror kind of way, but just afraid that we are in mortal danger. This is a dangerous situation kind of way, because then basically you've got to deal with the fact that players and their association with their characters and the degree of separation there. How do you how do you make them actually fear for their characters? Almost mm. in a way, it's very basic, but don't dice rolls in a way do that. Those definitely help. Yeah, because yeah. like if you've yeah. got an important dice roll and you know that if I get less than a 10, mm. you know, X consequences yeah. Yeah. happening. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That and everyone a, sits a, around and, you know, you get everyone to be like, oh, and they're rolling and everyone's watching. I think that can be it, a good it, moment. It depends, depends what system you're playing. But I, I, well, yeah. I, I, but if we're talking like advanced 5th edition, 5th edition, rolling in the open is something that I'm a big proponent of because it shows that I'm playing to the same rules and also that I'm here in my position as an arbitrator, not an adversary. And yeah. also, if stuff happens, it happens. It's not mm-hmm. me doing it to you. It is the dice and the scenario and your responses to it. And uh, if you up the tension a bit, it can. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as well, because we're talking about creating atmosphere in a game. We've talked about, just thinking about, like, the senses. So we've talked about, like, visually how you do that and how with sound and also with touch, with props. I don't know if anyone's done anything with, like, smell or taste, because that sounds a bit... I have never done, no. I'm wondering if you... Taste would be a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, But smell... I, I, I had I had the effect. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not... How much do you want to how much do you want to stink out someone's house? You know, it's like <laughs> it's, it's, you are limited a little with that. Sort You're of now thing. through yeah. the peasant countryside. I bought some manure yeah. with me. <laughs> We're now in the sewers. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I didn't actually use it, but I was able to allude to the scent of jasmine. Mm. And think I, I think basically we have to take a real page from stuff like cinema with john carpenter's mm-hmm. version of um, the thing where you do not due to terrible special and seems still the story but due to terrible special effects right you could not see the the, the monster on screen so the first, they alien, the first alien film as well you barely saw it for most of the film that's yeah. scary partly, though. partly because it was a man in a rubber suit and looked like one <laughs> they were doing their best. They were doing their best, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's all about the tension and the reveal, uh, which I accidentally rediscovered a couple of times. Specifically with respect to scent, whenever they were like, they, they came across this sort of like obvious cult activity. We're talking pentagrams and 
burnt candles, human sacrifice, horror, etc. And one of the things was like, yeah, there's a really strong scent of jasmine mm. in the air. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's kind of weird. And then later on, whenever there was like something a bit weird going on, I was like, oh, okay, that's like, and you also yeah. there's like a really strong sense of jasmine. So you, so you can up. talk about a smell without mm. actually having to produce yeah. the smell. Yeah. You, yeah. Don't, you don't have to produce the smell. Just have a dog at the table and then, you know. Well, I was just thinking, I was just thinking that. It's like dogs were playing. D&D. Yeah. It would be a primarily smell-oriented game. They'd be mm-hmm. like, yes, uh, so you see a door, I sniff it. Yeah. <laughs> you see an orc, I sniff his butt. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to see what sort of mood he's in. <laughs> yeah. What did he have for uh, breakfast yesterday? I, 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 I keep the spray bottle to keep uh, errant players in line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting because I've not had a game where I've played with that in an atmosphere way in the way other things are. Um, mm. I know with like taste, some people do things where they do make mini potion bottles and they do actually drink them when they're having a health potion just for like a fun prop mm. thing. But I guess... Mm. Is, what is it? Just water or is it... Kind of water generally. Well, some sort of yeah. soda or something, I think, so it's bright like, red. This, this is orange juice and this one's... Yeah, so... Ribena I guess it can be whatever ribena. you want because you have to be careful or, of people's or, like allergies and preferences with food and drink or, as well. Or adult sort of thing. <laughs> it's like... Oh, yes. Ooh, ooh. Red wine. Yeah. Sure. So the heating potion... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the heating potion only works if you physically drink the prop, but it's something you really don't like. <laughs> that's what I mean. Oh. That's why it's problematic. Oh, yeah. um, no, no, no. You can't, you can't do Sambuca-flavoured heating potions. That would be awful. Oh, no. I, just, I just wonder if taste could be used more in games. So I think there's the... When you're playing in person, the stereotype for, for gaming groups, everyone brings snacks, don't they? And it's like a... As part of the social thing. I wonder if there was some way that could be used to create atmosphere or environment in games I, mm. I remember exciting escape rituals uh, no otherworldly escape rituals in the escape room in Southampton they had one particular puzzle which was all scent based mm. that was very interesting yeah quite hard but uh, I just thought it was like a very different take on it so yeah mm. and uh, certainly if you were yeah. doing something like say 10 candles this sounds like the perfect opportunity to get uh, the essential oil burner out yeah well I was planning on using scented candles for that as well so little tea light oh, candles nice. Yeah, I'm looking mm. forward to that and this the darkness element of that. I think darkness mm. is so great for horror because exactly what you said, the unknown is the scary thing. And that's what mm. darkness provides. It's like I don't know what's there. So my mind is filling in all the gaps. Mm. Oh, one, 100%. It's like mm. that is part of my hatred for dark vision. One is to roll 20 and the second is saying, ah, because I'm a hack GM, I'm very lazy. I like to say, oh, it's getting very dark. And then people say, oh, I have dark vision. And it's like... Mm. But then I think if one, if, if, if yeah. one of the groups got dark vision, you just do the opposite. You make it blinding light. You can make it so they can't see with the opposite yeah. then. Because if you've got dark vision, really bright light is a disadvantage to you, even more yeah. so than someone that doesn't. So one, one problem that I've run into where using light levels as an actual prop, turning the lights down and stuff like that, you can run into problems where some of the players can't actually read their character sheets. Yeah, the yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's an actual obstacle to, to the I, game. It, I've, I've had it done very well in a game of Dread. Mm. Yeah. Which, uh, I remember we must have talked about this before, we all had, we all had to bring along torches. Mm. But if you had the torch on, then the killer would know where you were. Which mm. led to me attempting to draw Jenga blocks in the dark. <laughs> Sad to say, my friends, that I am not as good at drawing well. Jenga yeah. as I thought I was. I yeah. could not draw them completely in the dark. Yeah. But I did yeah. give it a try. Dread's a fun game. I do like Dread. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Right. So, yeah, that was kind of my thoughts 
on creating Ooh. atmosphere in games, really. So yeah. Yeah. if anyone has used food or drink or something in their games to create atmosphere, could you write in and let us know? Because I'm genuinely intrigued by that. Mm. Some people must have tried something. So, yeah. But anyway. You could probably... Yeah. Well, you're playing Curtis Stride and you give everyone a glass of red liquid. Wine, right? Or cherry Yeah. Lovely. You could probably do something quite fun with, like, you know, they get those like novelty boxes where you've got chocolate and there's chili. Mm. Yeah. And that could be sort of the thing where, like, that would be quite good for a horror game where if something terrible happens to your character, you, you have to eat a chocolate to see what the result is. And on that note, I think we should end this, uh, this thing. Well, I guess I'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, that's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. So how do you pronounce that word? Stoimai. I've, never I've always said stimmy, but I don't know. It might be stimmy. Is it stimmy yeah. or stimmy? I don't even know S-T-Y- the words that you S-T-Y-M-I-E. two are saying. I have no idea. S-T-Y-M-I-E. I've never said it aloud. I'm looking it up. stimmy. Stimmy? Why is it supposed to rhyme? Stimmy. Yeah, Google says stimmy. Stymie. Okay, so... Yeah. To stime, yeah, so I've never yeah, even heard of that word. <laughs> Can tell you two of the writers, and I'm just, you know... <laughs> logistics well, grunt. 